0: Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcy. Each week, I sit down and chat with hip-hop culture's executives, heavy hitters, and business leaders that are taking hip-hop culture forward and are sharing their best insights that could help you level up your game. On today's episode, I talked with Dave Mays, who is the founder and former CEO of The Source magazine, and now the co-founder and CEO of Breakbeat, which is a new podcasting network. On this episode, Dave and I talk all about The Source and the legacy that his magazine had. He started The Source when he was a student at Harvard, grew it from a several page publication that eventually grew to became the main place for hip hop news. And for a lot of us that are either writing in hip hop media or creating content, The Source is such a big inspiration. So it's a full circle moment to be able to talk to folks like Dave and get his take on how media has changed, how things have evolved, his thoughts on business models, and how all of that has led to where hip hop media is right now, and how a lot of that inspired what he's now building. He recently launched Breakbeat, which is a podcasting network that wants to elevate the voices and stories that are being told in hip-hop culture so that it can represent everything more broadly. He has a bunch of dope shows coming there. We talked about the biggest one he has, Don't Call Me White Girl, which has been rising up the ranks through Apple Podcasts and others. We also talked about Dave's own podcast and how he wants to have more of his voice out there and becoming a media personality himself, shifting from behind the scenes to being in front of the scenes as well. And We talked about one of the big upcoming projects he has as well, which is a series on the life and times of Larry Hoover. Here's my conversation with Dave Mays. Today's episode of the Trapital Podcast is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks has just commissioned the largest study ever done on the creator economy. In the rise of the independent creator, you'll learn why many of today's creators feel burnt out, relying on social media and algorithms, but how they're starting to reclaim ownership of their communities by going niche, focusing on their community, and building a network effect with the people that make it possible. So go to newcreatormanifesto.com to check it out. That's newcreatormanifesto.com. All right, we got Dave Mays here, founder, former CEO of The Source, and the co-founder of Breakbeat, which is a new podcast network. And Dave, I know before we got started, I gave you your props, but got to give you your props. So many of us at Hip Hop Media, The Source was a big inspiration for so much of that. So thanks for paving the way and making it happen.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think it's been great to look back. And now that it's been over 30 years since you had first started The Source, how do you look at things? What do you see as the legacy of the magazine?
1: Well, I think a few things about that. I mean, The Source, as you know, was kind of the Bible of hip hop uh, throughout the 90s. It was called that. And uh, The Source played a, an enormous role in helping to grow hip hop, helping to elevate it, helping to bring it into the mainstream, but also keep its authenticity. You know, that was really the most important thing. You know, I think that the source did was, it was credible, it was authentic to the culture, the people, the community, the culture always came first. And I never felt like I had to sacrifice that in, for the business interests. So I think the source really paved the way for the world we're in today, you know, where hip hop is omnipresent, it's part of, you know, almost every facet of our society. You can you can see its influence, and I think that the source played a big role in in helping create this the place for this world that we're in now. I do think that the history of the source isn't really well documented. There's a lot of different versions of different things told by different people. Some who might have been around in one way or the other, and some who are just, you know, observers and trying to figure out what happened. And so one of the things I'm trying to do now and going forward is make sure that the true legacy and story of myself and the source is known to people so that we can really document that for historical
0: purposes going forward. That makes sense. And from that narrative, is there a particular part of the narrative that you think a lot of people understand about the source that is different from how things really were?
1: You know, I think about a few things. The source awards was huge, was incredible. One of the most exciting events ever done year after year. In some ways, its reputation gets tarnished a bit because people try to, you know, everyone wants to talk about the 95 Awards and should Knight and what happens in the year plus after that with uh, Pac and, and Biggie being murdered. And that's one thing just in general, I think people don't really understand just the nature of the Source Awards, how incredible a production it was, how important it was to the hip hop community and the industry to have our own award show and done in a really high quality, but again, very authentic, you know, way that kept it real. So that's, that's one area, you know, and then, you know, there's various controversies over the years that, that tend to get talked about a lot of the times. And one of the most important things about the source also really was its integrity as a journalistic institution. And, you know, that was something that I established very, very early on. I built the source with, $200, started as a newsletter while I was at Harvard in undergrad, built it from one page to six pages to 16 pages and and so on. The record industry was the only advertising I could get for the first five years or so. So I built a great relationship with all the record companies that were putting out hip hop back in the late 80s and early 90s. And it would have been easy to kind of allow the influence of advertising dollars from Uh, Record companies to affect the way that we covered things editorially in the magazine. But I made a, a real point from the beginning of letting these record labels know that the value of the source was the trust that we were building with the community. And that, you know, if people sense or feel like we're not being really honest about our coverage of things or it's being influenced in any way you know, we're going to diminish that trust. And that's ultimately going to make your advertising less effective because people read the source, they were highly engaged, read through every page, including the ads, like the ads were like editorial for a lot of folks. So, you know, that was really a big part of my messaging to the record industry was, you know, you want to advertise in an environment that people really trust because it's going to make your ads more effective. Thus, don't ask me to put someone so on the cover because you're buying a bunch of ads this year or anything like that i established something called the publisher's credo that i wrote and put in the masthead of the magazine from the very, very early days that just kind of acknowledged to readers that we do take ads from the industry, the music industry, and we do write about those artists, but you know, we want to be upfront you know, with the audience and let them know that this is what it is, but that we still take the integrity of the magazine very seriously. So that ran every month in the source for 15, 16 years uh, while I was there. So I think that's something that you know, especially in in the world we're in today where, you know, integrity has kind of gone out of the window in journalism and media. And it's not just hip hop, uh, although, you know, it is there. But, you know, we've seen the kind of veneer of institutions like the New York Times and even the Washington Post and all these, you know, so-called like hallmarks of journalistic integrity, you know, have a lot of scandals and a lot of things get exposed. And But I just think as a whole, you know, we're in this day and age where everything's kind of like pay for play. Everybody wants money to get an article written. And what made the source work is that if you put out some dope music, you know, we wanted to let everybody know about it. That was how I felt and that was how the people working for me felt. It didn't matter if you were on a major label, an independent label, if you were from Louisiana or New York, wherever the case may be, if your music was dope, if you had some dope fashion, you know, or other things. Like it was just about finding you know all of this amazing talent and creativity and stuff and pushing it out there, wanting to be the platform to just let people know about all this cool stuff going on. And and that really made it, you know, what it was. And it, it's hard to do that if you're covering things basically only if they're huge news or only if somebody's actually advertising with you. And it's tough because of the way the media business has evolved. And I understand that, you know, the past 10, 15, 20 years since the onset of, of the internet, it's basically undermined all traditional business models and media, and especially those that rely on advertising revenue. And as advertising revenue has become more difficult to obtain, whether you're a cable, TV channel, a website, obviously a magazine or a radio station, because of digital, because of Google, Facebook, you know, kind of eating up the largest share of advertising spending people are out here like fighting for their lives trying to figure out what to do and you know unfortunately that's lent itself to i think a loss of a level of credibility and and integrity in, in the media
0: yeah that's one of the things that i know a lot of people that have been in the game for years have been frustrated by and i think we're starting to see a little bit of a shift with that just with new types of medium or even older types that are coming back to be more popular again whether it's newsletters or other types but At the core, there still is this tension of people wanting to get the word out there and the business models shifting things, especially when the internet and the social networks and their push, whether it's Google or Facebook, take over. But I'm sure even with that, there's probably still some things that you all did in the heyday of the source that is still relevant or still true and can still be beneficial in today's media. Are there any type of lessons or insights that you all had done that you think are still relevant in today's landscape?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, some of the stuff that I've talked about, I think, are certainly things that I think would benefit people more so than the approach that a lot of folks are taking. I think if you can champion quality, great stuff, regardless of what it is, and just focus on that, I think the dollars and the audience will follow. So that's definitely one. I mean, again, you know, to me, that authenticity is key. I mean, because... One of the things also that The Source really did well, that I did well, I think, was find a way to keep a balance between the kind of street side of hip-hop and the world from which hip-hop comes and the corporate business side. And there's a lot of corporate entities that, you know, just want to kind of get the commercial aspect of it, but don't want to have to deal with some of the things that come with the realities of what life is like for a large segment of underprivileged, disadvantaged press communities around this country and, and everywhere. And, you know, that to me, that was something that I understood came with the territory. And that was, you have to kind of deal with that and accept that because hip hop is about, it was about, and I think can be more about trying to impact you know, our world and change those conditions. I saw hip hop in the 80s and the 90s as like the kryptonite for racism and something that would really just help undermine systemic racism that has dominated our you know, society for so long. And I think it was beginning to do that. And I think we kind of lost that after Pac got killed. I think that's really the turning point in the evolution of hip hop from my perspective. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like focusing on that, trying to find a way to do business and do good business, but also be as true to the the culture and the community and the issues that the community uh, is still dealing with to this day. Because it's 30 years later and hip hop's this multi-billion dollar industry all over the world, but the conditions in the hood are as bad or worse as they've ever been for folks And that's just sad to see given that hip hop has come out of those communities and come out of the pain and the struggle that
0: many people in those communities have and continue to face. Definitely. And I assume that a lot of that recognition of where hip hop is now was a lot of the push for you to want to start your own podcast network and to launch Breakbeat and the opportunity you saw in the marketplace there. So can you talk a little bit about that? What have you been seeing at the landscape and what led you to launching the podcast network?
1: Sure, well, since you know, I kind of you know, left the source before the job was finished, so to speak, I was at the source 18 years from when I started it to when I left, but there was so much more of my vision of where I was going. And in a lot of ways, you know, now it's 15 years later since I've been gone and nobody really picked up the mantle, kind of ran with the torch or brought that same kind of approach to things into the media world. And obviously media has changed drastically, you know, in those past 15 plus years because of digital and internet and social media and so forth. And it's spread things out and it's made things a lot a lot different. But I guess the, uh, the inspiration for Breakbeat is really a few things. One, you know, to kind of continue the job of where I was going with the source and create a platform that can serve the community and the perspectives and the interests of the community in an authentic and very comprehensive way. You know, the source was the magazine of hip-hop, music, culture, and politics. So you would buy the new issue of the source you might want to go and see how many mics we gave different albums you might want to read the new interview with tupac but you also were going to get social justice information you were going to get politics you were going to get health technology it was a comprehensive kind of you know an informative vehicle for the whole lifestyle and the whole world from the perspective of the hip-hop audience i feel like that's missing there's nothing that's really comprehensively covering the world through a, a broad lens from the perspective of hip-hop and that's one of the things that i think is special about hip-hop you know when you listen and when you grow up being influenced by hip-hop from a young age it, it, it does impart a certain worldview and a certain way of thinking and looking at the world that tends to be different from people who aren't influenced by hip-hop so I think that means there's like a, there's a community of people that, that have a shared a set of perspectives and opinions about things. And it crosses now three generations. So, you know, hip hop goes from the Gen X through millennials now to Gen Z. And, you know, there's a narrative that I feel like has been pushed through the music industry that's been kind of divisive, which is, the older folks saying, oh, this mumble rap isn't real hip-hop, this isn't what it's about, or the younger people pushing back. You know, you're just old and, and out of touch, that kind of thing. And if you're 51 years old and you grew up on hip-hop and your nephew is 21 years old and he's grown up on hip-hop, you may not like the same music today. I can get grant that. But beneath the surface of the music, hip hop is much more complex. And and like I said, it kind of gets into this kind of mindset and worldview about things and just a sensibility. And I I believe that the 51-year-old and the 21-year-old share a lot of things. If there was a platform that was providing more diversified content instead of, oh, we just got to do something for the older folks and we're going to do this for the younger folks. But I think about like, When we watch the news in the way that, you know, if you're a hip hop person, the way you probably feel watching all the different news channels, you know, when we watch sports, there's certain ways that we feel or react to things that are cultural to hip hop. And so really, I feel like Breakbeat, what I'm trying to do uh, with the platform is to unify the audience across the generations more because we can be a lot more powerful if we're more unified and it's such an enormous, I mean, you know, it goes from 15 to 55 or even even greater. Again, black, white, Chinese, rich, poor, whether you live in South Africa or South Central, you know, hip hop crosses all these boundaries and has created this community that I think can be better served and, and better connected. So those are some of the things that have inspired me. The The real, you know, I've seen this vision for a number of years that we need this voice, this platform. But I had to figure out what's the right entry point because of how just crazy it is in in the media world. And so I I started looking at podcasting a few years ago. And um, I have a business partner in Breakbeat named Kendrick Ashton, who's a DC native like myself, super smart, experienced guy. And he and I met a few years ago and got to talking about what I was trying to do, and we decided to partner up. And so he's, he's contributed a lot. He, he was really the one that said, you know, why don't we start with a podcast network? And the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you know, like a podcast network. First, it was like, is the digital magazine of today, okay? People have used that word, digital magazine, for 20 years now, but... It's never worked. There's no digital magazine that anybody reads regularly or subscribes to or anything. It's just a term that people have tried to implement in different ways. It's never worked. But I'm thinking about the podcast network. This is really the digital magazine. You take those sections out of the magazine: the fashion, the sports, the news, the, this and those are now different podcasts that are curated and you know have a similar branded perspective, that type of thing. So. Uh, That was one reason I chose podcasting, but it's just such a a, a dynamic and growing, fast-growing space. I think the the upside is, is enormous still in podcasting. We're just scratching the surface. It's a medium where, you know, you can find new voices and you can find new perspectives that you're not getting from the mainstream media. You can learn things in the podcasting world that you wouldn't learn anywhere else in the media landscape. So those are things that all kind of lend themselves to hip-hop and the mission of what I'm trying to do with the platform. And that's just the starting point, the podcast network, but it just felt like a very smart, efficient way to get in the game, start to create content, start to build A roster of of talent and voices, and also to create IP through some of the stories that we're doing that can be developed further into other areas.
0: And those are all different aspects to the strategy with the podcast network. Were there any other mediums that you had considered besides podcasting? Well, what I really wanted to do was launch an app, a
1: hip-hop-based app. And that's probably part of the future for Breakbeat. You know, we are Developing a technology side to the company now, and it's something that we'll probably look to introduce next year. I think there's a tremendous opportunity in the kind of mobile app area to create something that can, you know, just do a lot of things. It can be an alternative kind of to some of the social networks that are out there that we know hip hop has kind of built all of these social networks. They're kind of built off the back of the community and the culture. You know, uh, you know, I don't think Instagram would be where it is today without hip hop, you know, obviously Clubhouse, you know, was built almost entirely off of of hip hop. And so, you know, but these are not platforms that at the end of the day are really committed to hip hop or the culture or the community. So I think we need things in in that area of technology and and social networks uh, that are our own and a bunch of other aspects to what we'll do within the app space. But that's, but also just, diversified content. I mean, you know, producing films and TV shows and documentaries, uh, in the visual space. And, but I, I want to, you know, I want to run the gamut. I want to have a breakbeat imprint in, in a lot of different
0: areas. Yeah. And I think too, one of the things about podcasting is that it does allow you to tap into a specific audience or a specific group. And I do think that today things do tend to be a bit fragmented where there are these hyper niches or people really targeting a particular area and i do know that the source in many ways was almost thrived in this era where monoculture even in hip-hop was a bit more prevalent where there was a go-to place where yes this is the default place if you are a hip-hop fan this is where you go How do you look at that piece of it in terms of with Breakbeat? I know you had mentioned that wanting to have a place that can bring whether you're 51 or 21 within hip hop, but within there, is there a specific target or is there a core group that is the sole focus for uh, Breakbeat and then hopefully be able to capture the others along the way? Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously
1: a part of the hip hop market that is attracted to it just primarily because of the music, you know, and, you know, they just think it's cool music and they enjoy listening to it and that's fine. And I think, so, you know, I think there's that part of the audience may not be as initially as drawn to a hip hop news program or a hip hop health program or a show or a hip hop social justice show, whatever the case may be. So I think there's a, a more core community of folks that do have an interest in those things that we will probably attract first, but the audience tends to follow, you know, so if if I can get that, that core audience on board and really kind of stamping what we're doing, I think over time, others will follow and, and will kind of discover the other aspects of hip hop that make it so special beyond just it's... An amazing music that you can listen to or maybe you like the fashion and things like that which is fine but I want people to get a little further you know a little deeper into it so I think that'll you know that's the maybe the division there and then you know how do you find ways to appeal to both the older and the younger side but I think you'll see you'll see the young artists that are doing it right now on different breakbeat shows and you'll also see the legends on shows as well so I just think we can merge those things and there'll be a natural kind of growth that comes out of that because nobody's, nobody's doing that.
0: Yeah. And one of the other things I think is unique with the podcast network as well is that you yourself, you have plans to launch your own show on the podcast. And I know that'll be a bit of a shift because I know we talked a little bit before we started recording, but you have always been a bit more behind the scenes. Obviously, running things, but we're never necessarily in the camera or doing the interviews or being the media personality yourself. How will that be from a shift for your perspective? Because I mean, I do think it makes sense given the way media is now. But how are you looking at that piece of it? Right. Well, I guess that that remains to be seen. This is
1: the the start of it, this media little run that I've started the last few weeks, and you know, and then when when the podcast launches, so it's a little bit new because it it hasn't been me but i've been psyching myself up for a while now and having others you know a lot of people around me you know that are close to me really believe in in me and in you know my voice and the value that i can bring as a voice so uh, i'm excited about it and i think i'll pick it up and hopefully be able to to
0: do well uh even though it is kind of a new a new lane for me well i think one of the good things for you from that perspective is that People want to hear the business side of so many of these stories in a way where, you know, they still wanted to hear them back in the day, but they're just as a bit more of a defined lane for these things now, just becoming a bit more popular with that perspective. And I do think the fact that you have been in media and you have the track record you do, people are going to want to hear those stories. And not necessarily the beef between other hip hop magazines at the time, but you know, some of the things that we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. How do you view the ad landscape? How do you view business models? Because so many folks will hear these things from people that are creating media more in the tech or finance or other aspects of media or content creation, but you're not necessarily hearing about that piece of it as much from the folks that are doing things in hip hop. So I think people will appreciate that piece of it too. Good. Well, that's good to hear, hopefully. You're right. (laughs) For sure. You mentioned earlier your business partner, Kendrick Ashton. How did you and him link up? A mutual friend in DC. You know, I, I had been
1: living back in DC a few years ago, which is my hometown. Kendrick's, you know, a number of years younger than me, but so you know, when he was kind of growing up and in high school, I was already, you know, running the source and in New York and you know, I think some people in DC just took a lot of pride in the idea that a DC cat was up in New York, kind of running things up there. And you know, Kendrick was one of those. And so, uh, a buddy of mine, actually, that I went to high school with, knew Kendrick and invited me out to an event that Kendrick was hosting, and thought it would be good for me to be there to network with some of the people there. But. Uh, that's where I met him. We just started talking and, it, you know, we just had like really interesting conversation and we became friends really fast and I spent a lot of time with him and his family. And, you know, and then when I started talking to him about my ideas for this platform, you know, he was just a great person initially to kind of sound sound off these things and get perspective on it. And he doesn't, you know, he, when you look at him from the outside, he doesn't necessarily fit the profile of a, of a hip hop person. He's a, you know, a former founder of a big investment bank in New York and a number of other incredible accolades, but he actually, you know, really knows and loves hip hop and he's really creative. So he he doesn't just bring the business and financial acumen that I think I need and will benefit the company, but he also contributes creatively across the board. So, you know, I can talk to him about everything uh, that we're doing and I think we make a great team so yeah i'm really really pleased to have him as my partner
0: yeah and i think even though you mentioned he may not have the direct music or the direct hip-hop experience there i feel like the successful partnerships or tandems are seeing more and more have that mix you're having people that have succeeded and done well in other backgrounds because at the end of the day this is business and there are transferable things that you may see in other industries And having that fresh perspective can often give you a leg ahead there. So I think that that makes sense, you know, just the compliment between the two of you. So excited to see how that piece of it comes out. So as you and him are looking at things, let's say a year from now, it's towards the end of 2022. What will success look like? How will you measure success for Breakbeat?
1: Man, I mean... I want to see the podcast network thriving. Uh, You know, we have eight shows that we've launched or are in production on so far. By then, we should have 30 shows, maybe. I'd like to see just, you know, a lot of new and and successful podcasts. So hopefully the network will be thriving uh, on the podcast. And this kind of technology side, if it does indeed become an app that we launch next year, I would like to see that, you know, having some traction by the end of next year. If we can get it launched in a reasonable time next year, and uh, I mean, like I said, there's so many other things I want to be doing. Events, I think there's an opportunity for a different kind of hip-hop awards show than than what we've got currently out here. I would love to be in that space. I want other event-based concepts, whether it's kind of conferences or expos, things like that. Hopefully, we're you know we're beginning to enter into the more larger scale event space and, and just seeing some of the talent really take off that we're kind of putting on right now. So Don't Call Me White Girl is our first podcast that came out a few weeks ago and it's doing great. It's been up last week as high as 16 on the Apple podcast chart. And this was really without any promotion. Our marketing is going to be kicking in in the next couple of weeks. We just you know didn't have a big marketing rollout at the beginning, but She's someone who is, I think, going to be one of the most successful, well-known female personalities in the culture over the next few years. Incredibly funny, but incredibly smart. She really represents kind of the DNA of Breakbeat and what I would like to think will be the DNA of Breakbeat. So, you know, if you listen or watch her podcast, you're going to be entertained. You're going to laugh. But you're also going to be thinking and made to think about different important issues and she really has a way of achieving that balance that's very authentic. And so I want to see her at a whole another level a year from now. And then, you know, another one that's in that lane is Funny Marco. Probably many of your listeners know Funny Marco. A lot of us follow him for the past few years on Instagram. He's had us, you know, laughing our asses off, you know, with all his little pranks and skits and things that he does. But I just see another level of comedic kind of genius within him and I think he can go to greater heights and so you know building this first podcast with him is is exciting and I think we can be a part of helping him grow to become a much bigger figure uh in comedy and in hip-hop so I, I'll be really pleased to see talent like that at another level and to feel like you know we were we part of helping discover them and take them to another level of their careers.
0: Exciting stuff, for sure. Let's take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsor. Let's talk more about the new study from today's sponsor, Mighty Networks. The creator economy says it's all about independence, but most creators are still quite dependent. They depend on algorithms to grow, and they depend on audiences that they don't own. 65% of creators say they feel overworked and underpaid. To address these challenges, Mighty Networks has commissioned the largest creator study ever, the Creator Manifesto. It's a report on the rise of a new independent creator that's emerging. Independent creators can own a direct relationship with their audience, earn more money from cultivating communities, and create a network effect to grow their audience. It doesn't take millions or thousands of followers to succeed. The independent creators succeed by going niche, empowering their audiences to build with them, and focus on serving their community. The independent creator can succeed with a much smaller audience than previously thought. To learn more, download the free report at newcreatormanifesto.com. That's newcreatormanifesto.com. I want to talk a little bit about the podcast landscape overall, and obviously, starting a podcast network, there have been so many networks and podcasts that are either getting acquired or the networks themselves or popular shows are getting these exclusive deals with some of these big distributors. Spotify has clearly been paving its way there. How do you view that piece of it? What is your take on the overall landscape with some of the bigger players and the bigger distributors? I
1: mean, I, I think it's good. I mean, you know, to see all these big companies, you know, throwing hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars into the podcasting business, I think it's just going to grow the the market for podcasting. And uh, how things shape out remains to be seen. As you know, podcasting has been built really on a widely distributed, free advertising driven basis. That's the business model that has allow podcasting to grow to the uh, level that it is today. And I think that will sustain itself for some period of time. You know, there are people who want to see it become more of a subscription-driven business. And I don't know, we'll see whether that that happens or not. I'm not convinced that that's going to happen uh, anytime soon. But yeah, I just think those companies, I mean, just like it was with The Source, I was this small, independent company. That after you know, The Source was the really the first hip hop magazine, but after a few years, Larry Flint came out with the you know, a, a, a rap magazine, and Quincy Jones and Time Warner launched a rap magazine, and there was a lot of big competition. But I was never nervous about that, you know, because I knew that these folks didn't really understand hip hop and the true DNA of it, and they weren't like I was talking about before that they weren't really committed to the culture and the community in the way that the source was. And so I always felt that I'd have an upper hand and I kind of feel that way now. You know, I, I think these companies are putting out some great content, but you know, when it comes to hip hop, it's different. You have to really, it's you know, have to really understand the culture to be able to put your finger on things that are going to really have legs and resonate widely. And so I think that that's an advantage that we'll have being a a smaller
0: player in the near future competing against bigger entities. Yeah, it's funny earlier you had mentioned the paid podcast piece. And yeah, that's something that did not take off. And looking back, it's something that I think will and could potentially work in very specific niches or if there's someone that has some very unique offering, but not in a grand escape way. I remember when luminary had launched theirs and i think the big promise was trying to be the hbo of podcast they had all these exclusive shows there but once i saw that it didn't necessarily take off there were some issues with the launch and then they lowered the price of the monthly subscription it was like the price really isn't the issue here. It's just the behavior and people feeling like there are alternatives that are you know, equivalent of high quality. And that HBO dynamic, the difference there doesn't exist in the same type of way. And I still think that that reminded me that we're still in the early days with a lot of this, even as much as people may think that podcasting may be more mature relative to Clubhouse or Drop It Audio. It's still very new. and. Of course, the technology has been around since when was it? I the iPod was you know named after that's how they came up with the name for podcast. I was at fifteen years ago at this point, but things really didn't you know pop until after I think Serial came out. I think in twenty fourteen, that I think was like the big mainstream moment. I mean, even since then, it's still been you know a slow and gradual growth, and it just given. That podcasting, unlike a YouTube channel or a TikTok account and any of these things that can grow millions of followers very quickly, it takes time and it takes work. And I think because of that, it still makes it be much more in the early days than even some of the other mediums out there.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. We're just scratching the surface, even though, like you said, it's been around a while, but I think it's going to just continue to grow and evolve in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, you have now more of the visual side of podcast world becoming the traditional podcast people think of podcasting as audio. And they've been, from what I've seen, you know, they're kind of like fiercely protective of, you know, that idea. But even some of those types of people I'm noticing now are coming around to the idea that you need to incorporate video as well, one way or another. So, you know, that's just, Again, we're at a very early stage of how podcasts and visual podcasts, what will happen with that market. I don't think what the audio market is going to disappear either. There's obviously huge audience already, and there's a lot of advantages to being able to just listen to something and not have to watch it. You know, you can
0: drive and work out and do things. That's one of the attractions of the audio space. Yeah. It's clearly, I mean, with radio, one of the big things they're selling with radio for years has been the companionship. You're being in someone's car, right? Podcasting, it's even broader because you could be in someone's car, they could be doing their chores, they could be working out if that's what they would choose to do while listening to podcasts. There's so many things. And I think with that, there's just so many angles there as well. So it's an exciting time and it's an exciting time for you all to be launching something like this. And Dave, this is great. I mean, you dropped a lot of gems here. It was great to take a trip down memory lane and talk a lot about the source as well and what you have coming up. And I know you plugged a bunch of things, but before we let you go, is there anything else that you want to plug or let the travel audience know about?
1: Yeah, no, I want to just share a little more about the content that we're, we're doing right now with Breakbeak. I mentioned the two, you know, Don't Call Me White Girl, which is out now, and Funny Marco. It's called The Wrap It Up Show, starring Funny Marco. That's going to premiere in maybe two, three weeks from now. We have a podcast called Culturati that's out. That's amazing. Hosted by Kiernan Mayo, one of the most accomplished Black female kind of hip-hop journalists and media executives of all time. Super, super interesting podcast uh, produced in partnership with PRX, which is, you know, a very just an outstanding audio journalism organization that's been involved in podcasting a long time so you know we're also i guess what's important i want people to understand is so i'm doing like these audio visual podcasts the host talk discussion format but also this journalistic side of podcasting this more highly produced audio storytelling that's really the thing that gave the podcasting business a, a huge boost the past five years from the release of Serial and then other podcasts. And that, I mean, that's just become like this huge part of podcasting, these, these narratives, highly produced narrative stories. So that's an area that hip hop has almost no presence in. I mean, there's thousands of podcasts telling all these stories, but very, you can count on one hand, the ones that talk about things that are relevant to us and hip hop. So I wanted to really delve into that. Culturati is sort of in that lane because it is not just a talk format. It's much more of a produced newsy type of podcast. But the other ones that I'm doing, I have two docu series going right now. Uh, one is the the story of the unsigned height column in the source, an eight part series that we're producing. The Unsigned Hype column, as, as you know, you know, was the column where we reviewed demo tapes from unsigned rappers every month. And through that column, which we created in nineteen ninety, uh, we discovered Biggie, we discovered DMX, we discovered Common, Mob Deep, Eminem, capone and noriega j Electronica, David Banner, Pitbull, many others. So there's a the backstory of that column is incredible. Arguably, one of the most influential magazine columns in history, and we'll really give people all the the backstory and the information of how how we found these, how we started the column, how did they get their record deals, etc. So I'm, I'm really happy that 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 one's coming. And then the other one that I'm probably more excited about is the Larry Hoover story. I'm producing a ten-part series on his his life. And it's the first time that his family has entrusted anyone to tell his story uh, and kind of granted those rights, which uh, they gave me. So I'm really proud that they had the confidence and trust in me to be able to tell his story in the way that it needs to be told, because he has an incredibly powerful and interesting story. It's incredibly relevant even to this day and what's going on out here in many ways and it's a story that honestly has never, ever been told in any kind of accurate, in-depth way. We, All you get out here in the media is, you know, Larry Hoover, the founder of the Gangster Disciples, the one of the biggest gangs in the history of the world. And, you know, he's locked up, you know, in the Supermax for six life sentences with El Chapo and all these other people. And, you know, he's just been painted as a, a very narrow, negative person. But his story is... Much, much bigger, more complex, and he was a, you know, in my opinion, a, a revolutionary. He was somebody that was, you know, like other leaders for the black community historically that were trying to move the community in a different way to create change. And he redefined gangster disciples in the 1980s to growth and development. And he was very, very serious about that. And he implemented a lot of changes. Uh, A lot of people turned their lives around because of the teachings of of Larry Hoover. And he went into politics and he began, you know, registering thousands of voters and uh, getting, you know, organizing marches on City Hall. And I think the powers that be recognized, you know, he was going to get out on parole in the early 90s. He was due to get out. And this was the time when he really was making this push to stop the criminal aspect and become a community, socially conscious organization and political. I mean, he's the only black gangster in our culture that we all hear about and read about who ever talked about politics and voting. And, you know, if you listen to him on the Ghetto Boys Resurrection album and you hear what he's talking about, I mean, that's just a, a part of his messaging, which he conveyed to, you know, thousands and thousands of people over the years. And like I said, many of whom turned their lives around and people just don't, don't know this stuff about him. So uh, I can't wait to tell that story. And and I think it's going to be very impactful.
0: Looking forward to that one. And I'm glad you brought that up. And just to talk about it a bit more, what was that process like getting the rights and working with the family to be able to tell the story? I mean, basically Jay Prince is a Long, long, dear friend, probably my best
1: friend from the hip hop industry ever. One of the, you know, only real guys in the business who's really found a way to accomplish kind of the stuff I talked about earlier. Just the staying true to the community. I mean, the stuff he's done for Fifth Ward and Houston as a whole. And there's almost no rappers or people in hip hop you can point to that still can go back to their hood and still have done a lot to help those communities. Jay's been a leader in that regard for years. So he and I have been very close since the '80s when you know I first met him and started covering his music in the Source. And Jay has been very close to Larry and his family for many, many years, as most people know. So Jay really helped make the introduction when I, I moved out to Chicago uh, in 2017. And my girlfriend is from Chicago, and I decided to come out here. She's born and raised, and her family's here. And when I got to Chicago, that was when Jay initially kind of introduced me to Larry's wife, Miss Wendy, and to his son, Larry Jr. And uh, I started to build a relationship with them and spend time with them. And we got close over, over the past few years to the point where, you know, when I was launching Breakbeat, they were one of the first people I wanted to go to, to to try to bring into the network. And so that's, that's kind of how that happened. And I'm in Chicago now, I've been living here all year this year, and uh, it's been great. I love the city. I think it's an amazing city that doesn't get all the uh, credit and limelight that it should. It, It obviously gets a lot of the negative attention because of the violence, which is a very serious problem still here today. And that's the type of thing, again, that when you learn the history of Chicago and the history of Larry Hoover, You're going to gain a much different perspective on the way things are in Chicago today than probably what you you have currently from
0: mainstream media. That makes sense. No, that's exciting. And we definitely looking forward to this project. What did you say the timeline was? When should we expect this one? We're going to announce
1: it officially and release a trailer on Larry's birthday, which is November 30th. So that'll be the first official announcement and a little peek at it. We're not going to start releasing the series until first quarter of 2022. So, uh, yeah, we're
0: still in production and working on finishing it up. That's great. Good stuff. Well, Dave, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. So just to recap, if people want to be able to follow along with you or Breakbeat specifically, uh, where should they go?
1: Yeah, please. I mean, uh, definitely check out what we're doing. I think you'll like it. So you can go on any podcast app, whether it's Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and you can search Breakbeat or you can search the show titles. Don't Call Me White Girl and Coach Rowdy are the, the first two that are available right now. You can also go to the breakbeat media YouTube channel and that's where the visual versions of our shows are living. So you should definitely check out the don't call me white girl there. And then, you know, breakbeatmedia.com is our website and we're at breakbeat media on, on social, on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, if you want to follow me, I'm at the real Dave Mays on also on Instagram and Twitter. But yeah, I, would, I would hope people would go and check out what we're doing. And I think they will be uh interested
0: and find it something uh, that they want to continue to, to be a part of. Good stuff. And yeah, we'll link to those in the show notes as well. Thanks again, Dave. This is great. Yeah, Dan,
1: great meeting you. And uh, definitely we'll we'll stay in touch and hopefully uh, have some more of these conversations because I really like what you've been doing. Yeah, likewise, for sure. Definitely. You're in a really interesting and relevant area of journalism and reporting and with your focus that, that no one else is really focused on. So, uh, kudos
0: to you. If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend, copy the link, text it to a friend,